takes a little bit. It takes a second to get into it. Okay. We're gonna let it. We're gonna let it roll, and then you'll know. It's really sad. You can't, guys. You can't hear this, but you're hearing it now. <laughs> bum, bum. Stewie, don't cry. You can't rely on me, baby. You can kill mom any day you want. Yeah, oh baby. It'll be cool. You were right, she's vile woman. Each ep is freaking sweet. A family guy. I'm yes, so chef. Right Here now. we go, I'm the so chorus right go. Now. These seasons shake. Peter escapes doing chicken fights. Chris is bad. Brian getting burnt. Meg makes me squirm. Lucky he's a family guy. Woo! Fuck. Wow. <laughs> it's a different experience Awful. to uh, to hear it live. <laughs> yeah, because there's no uh, there's you are just hearing what that segment is, which is just um, no music. Usually, uh, I think usually we're pretty respectful with the song choices for these parodies, but this was really over the line. <laughs> you don't like that, Mason? The buck's nope. up here. <laughs> well, I don't. Who cares? <laughs> Welcome to it's on the list. This is a podcast about underrated media movies and more. We've never talked about anything that's not music and movies on this podcast. No, so never. Maybe we gotta drop that last that last line. But you know, as always, I'm Noah and. I'm here with Mason. I'm here. Hello. We got a guest this week. We got a guest. Say hello, guests. Welcome to the show. Hello, I'm Ian. <laughs> yes, Chef. I want to give you. I want to give you the proper introduction so everyone pretend that you did not hear him say his name just now. So let's. <laughs> Lucky he's a family guy. Woo! Yes, that was a great song parody. We got a great guest this week. I know you guys both loved it. Here we go. Our guest this week. You may know him as a writer for Merry-Go-Round magazine. You also may know of his, I want, it's not a blog, it's a newsletter. We're going to call it a newsletter. Uh, yes. Other arrangements at Right Side Down, that's right, and then with a one instead of an I on Twitter. We'll make sure to link to that in the descript. Yes. But you know him. You, you love him. It's Ian Campbell, ladies and gentlemen. Ian. Wow. <laughs> Welcome, Thank Ian. Thank you. The studio audience is going crazy right now. Yeah. yeah. Ian, how you doing? You know, uh, I thought today was going to be a bad day, but let me just say, about uh, about maybe a minute and 30 ago, it became a lot better. So. <laughs> That's yeah. good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, Ian, I got a question for you. Yes, Noah. Not a, it's not a question, actually. It's a <laughs> statement. Oh, okay. Uh, you're actually a fan of this show. Is that I fair am. to say? I'm a listener, long-time listener, first-time uh, co-joint, like, first-time guesting. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, we love that. It's always uh, actually, sure, it's yeah. actually nice yeah. to meet someone who actually listens to the show. One yeah. of you out there who actually listens. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. nice when, like, uh, I am, a, it's very nice to be acknowledged for your work. I'm putting work in quotations, but it is fun <laughs> To think that I am uh, speaking and my words are being heard. It's a very yeah. humbling thing. So thank you for being a loyal listener, Ian. It truly does mean a lot. Of I'm course. I, uh, I Yeah. I try to listen to all my friends' podcasts. So 
cool. You know, Le- one of the most noble efforts out there <laughs> know. known to man really is listening thankless. to yeah. all the friends <laughs> podcast. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you listen to? Uh, I guess I'm about to expose you if you don't. But do you listen to Aya versus the Big Boys on Patreon? I've listened to several episodes, but I'm not caught up currently. That is a fair answer, and yeah. uh, we will put you on the polygraph after the show. That's fair. Um, yeah, folks, we got a, I think we got a lot to talk about today. Is that fair to say, Mason? I feel pretty cool with the amount of talking we got to do today. I'm wearing my yeah. Hawaiian shirt. Ian's got his little... <laughs> Ian and I are in the Hawaiian shirt crew right now. Yeah. Uh, We're dressed for Miami. We're dressed for Miami. Mm-hmm. And I am... Mm-hmm. Yep. Y'all mind if I podcast in my PJs? Yeah, dude. How about that? Go ahead. That sounds comfy as hell. Hey, man. It's hey. after seven. It's casual hours now. It's it's after hours. The lights yeah. are off in the shop. The toys are playing with themselves. You can interpret that any way you want. <laughs> but uh, oh, we're boy. at least two, two of the boys on this pod are ready to go on a little bit of a tropical pr- cruise and catch some COVID. If, that's, if you're trying to go to Miami, you guys are trying to catch some COVID. It's awesome. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, I have a question. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Am, am I am I speaking to uh, the tired boys today or someone else? <laughs> I'm a little tired boy. I will say uh-huh. I am a little tired boy, but uh-huh. I'm feeling otherwise fine. I guess I don't That's know. Good. Noah, how are you feeling? Honestly, feeling not that tired, but I don't want that to. I don't want to set up your expectations in a real false <laughs> way for how okay. I may be acting on this pod. Are you a tired boy today, Ian? Uh, no. Okay, great. No. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love it when a guest comes ready to fucking play. So, uh, (laughs) guest choice all around this episode. Guest choice. Uh, Ian, do you want Mm -hmm. to promo first your audio selection this week, your album? What did you bring on? For for, uh, the two tired boys today, or not so tired boys, I guess. The fine fine boys of it's on the list. I have brought an album from 2012. Um, It's by a band from Brooklyn, New York. Um, it's an album I first heard on Spotify, which I actually have some thoughts Very to cool. share about that. Uh, <laughs> what? what? Yeah. Listen, I can't believe Now's you just the time. said that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's an album I really enjoy. It's called Mixed Emotions, and it's by the band Tan Lines. And, uh, it's on the list for me. <laughs> is it? Wow. Yeah. Amazing. It is. The, um, you can tell he's a fan the, because he knows the name of the show. I will say, Mason... Yeah. Do you, Mason, you don't know. It's fair to say, I'm about to do my magic act here, ready? Mason, is it fair to say you've never met Ian before You're in your entire life? Pretty fair to say. It may okay. have just been in passing, but it's fair to say that I have never met Ian before in my life. Well, I have met Ian before in my entire life. And when oh. I tell you that this is such an Ian album, uh, <laughs> it's almost like unfair to say it any other way, I feel like, because... I put this on, you know, a couple days ago in preparation for this podcast, and I was just, it was, it was just sometimes you have bring guests on and they kind of surprise you with what they want to talk about, I feel like, yeah. or sometimes mm-hmm. even Mason and I will bring on things and it's like, oh, I had no idea you were into Robert Palmer, for example, you know, or whatever. But sometimes, <laughs> like today, you have guests who come on and they just hit it out of the park with, yep, I can see this person listening to this or watching this exactly and loving it. And I think that's what we have here 
with mixed emotions by tan lines. Uh, Ian, does that make you scared that I just said that or do you like that? <laughs> no, I, I almost wanted to like uh, give a little warning before I like send it to you guys. So that's what I wanted to do that. Like this, I'm not uh, being surprising or interesting. Like I, I really, <laughs> I'm really here just bringing things that I care about so that you guys have to talk about them. This is more of like a, uh, podcast at gunpoint kind of yikes yeah. <laughs> podcast at gunpoint is the new name of the show ian bringing mm-hmm. this on mm-hmm. safe to say uh never met ian the fact that noah said that this is a very ian album makes me very curious about when this album came to you in your life mm-hmm. and what your oh. first like uh beautiful exposure to it was yeah do you want the do you want the long version or the short version Buddy. This is not the short version podcast. <laughs> yeah. You, said, you claim okay. to be a yeah, fan. Have you ever heard Mason yeah, talk yeah. about anything before yeah, <laughs> in your entire real. life? Come on. <laughs> uh, so what's the story with this? So I, in high school, I mean, still to this day, I have like a real passion for the tech industry. <laughs> <laughs> learning about, learning about sentence yeah i know <laughs> i have a hard time reconciling it myself sure. um yeah i have a real passion for the tech industry and there was a blog that i read um in high school a lot that was called the verge i don't know if you've heard of it it's like a vox media verge, yeah. property yeah mm-hmm. um right when they launched they had a show like a like a youtube show that was called on the verge and they would have guests and they'd do interviews and the musical guest for like one of the first episodes was Tan Lines. Of course. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, so that's how I heard them first. And I kind of forgot about it and then rediscovered it again through one of those weird like Spotify radio situations. Oh, for sure. Where oh, you pick sure. a song and it's like auto suggesting things. And then the song that they played on that show came up and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really like this. <laughs> this is really speaking to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's like how that? I first heard it. Oh, uh, the second song off the album, All of Me. All of Me? Cool. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's what the I one thought got, it would be. Yeah. It got the most radio play from what I understand, like when it initially came out. Oh, so you literally were like, damn, I forgot about this band. Oh, damn, I'm listening to this band now. I don't, rem- I don't give, I don't like remember them at all. Let's go see what it is. So you were not exposed to them in like a popular setting so to speak they existed very much in a vacuum for you yeah. is what it sounded like yeah which very i think cool. speaks to like a modern experience of discovering music you know i feel like that's often like the spotify thing is if you listen long enough you get suggested like random shit that you never would have heard otherwise sure. and it, that's it all, all kind of sounds the same is now yeah, yeah. And, and it all does kind of blend if i'm listening to the podcast i'm like i need something that doesn't just like and I know that I did this to myself, but it's like, I need something that is actually people want to listen to and not just like flexing my taste for its own sake, you know? And I'm just so annoyed. Totally. I want to get some more dance tracks on my fucking Discover Weekly. Yeah. That, that is a written threat to the Spotify algorithm. <laughs> I, you know okay. what? I, you know, as if I'll take, I'll take the other side of that, uh, of that debate coin. I think it's, they're smart. <laughs> I think that the <laughs> algorithm is smart and I love them. And, uh, like, I'm always amazed that they're giving me these songs that I actually like. Like, that's the crazy thing is it's like, I feel like genius, quote unquote, genius technology has progressed to such a amazing point that it's like, oh, I actually like this and say what you will about like at targeted ads, so to speak. But I'm kind of a fan because it's like, you're actually giving me ads for things that a, I might need in my life or b. I actually might want to experience like based on your like algorithm or whatever. 
so yeah, NSA, if you're listening to this, uh, more ads, <laughs> more ads for Garfield <laughs> oh, merch, please. If you can do that, it's what I'm interested in right now. But uh, have you ever seen this band live, Ian? I know that's kind of a weird question. Yes, I actually have. So the first FYF fest that I went to in Los Angeles at the LA Coliseum, um, I saw them perform live. And they were just starting to play some songs from like their second album that came out in 2015. Um, and it was a gratifying, it was a, being a fan and like thinking I would never see them live. It was a very gratifying experience. I wanted to ask you about that because that's based on how this music sounds and looking at some of who like the like suggested artists were for this kind of band. I have to imagine going to their show is a little bit of like a cosmic experience as far as like the other kinds of people who are there. Can you talk about what it's like to just exist at a tan lines concert with those other folks? Yeah. So it's like an interesting mix. Like the band itself comes from that, like kind of New York music scene, you know, that kind of started with alt rock, but has expanded into like a bunch of different directions. Um, So there's, there's what people I would describe as looking like from New York, like cool people. (laughs) Right. Um, I saw cool people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they definitely look like a Brooklyn band. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then there was, um, I mean, it's like a, da- it's dance music for the most part, or it has like rhythm that I would say encourages dancing or at least moving on your feet kind of thing. Sure. So there was definitely a crowd of people who are maybe more like into electronic, like pure electronic music or pure dance music who are, this is like the crossover interest for them. Sure. No, that yeah. makes sense. And I, and that, that, that lines up a little bit with what I thought you were going to say, because, like, I'm looking at some of the, like, suggested artists. Like, if you like tan lines, you might also like, and it's, like, names of bands that I would never throw on that just, like, kind of scare the shit out of me. Like, like, like Apex Records, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, stuff like that, or, like, yeah. or like Gucci Seatbelt. And I'm like, oh, yikes, don't want to don't want to put that band on. But that's interesting. I'm actually glad that you I'm actually glad you had seen them because I was very interested in whether or not yeah. you'd seen them live before. Um, Mason. Hey. Hey, buddy. You okay? You doing okay over there? I'm just chilling out, man. Yeah, I was looking, also looking at the suggested um, artists for uh, Tan Lines, and it's like, the ones that I recognize totally make sense for this. So, like, Twin Shadow, Washed Out, uh, like a Neon Indian. Uh, it was just making me very nostalgic for just this, like, kind of, um, I guess time in music because this album came out. It was like my senior year of high school, and this very much listening to it, I'm like, oh, this is what like 18 year old me would think would be like cool music. Um, and that was that's mostly like my sort of immediate impression of this album. Noah, had you ever encountered this album before? No, and I said that to you, I said that to you guys like in the. In the little like uh, in the, our little chat when we were trying to get this together, I literally had never heard of this band. I had never heard mm-hmm. of this album. I had never heard any songs off this album. But uh, just like uh, my my general dislike of British comedy, <laughs> I have a somewhat of a general dislike towards this kind of music. And not to say that I'm going to count this kind of music out in any like way, shape or form. Uh, just like I don't count out any British comedies that come out <laughs> on this show. And I've never done that before. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I will say that this a little bit was a, uh, uphill battle for me as far as, 
the album itself is concerned. And we can sort of talk about, I guess we can just talk about the album itself now if everyone mm. feels like they've yeah. said what they need to say about sort of like how they came to the album. Uh, I feel like this album exists in like almost two halves, but it's really like two thirds and a third as far as like the tracks are concerned because the tracks that I found myself most gravitated to are some of the ones that actually feel like a little bit more, I guess, rock for lack Mm. of a better term. Mm -hmm. And uh, those ones for me are green grass, not the same and none such. I think green grass being my favorite uh, of the, that triptych there. Um, What is your favorite track off this album? uh, Sir Ian. Uh, the two that I gravitate to the most, see, I, I guess my theory on this album is that it's really like maybe three singles that are supported by a bunch of other songs that are like sort of similar. Sure. Um, that's kind of my feeling about it. Uh, yeah. But keep going. Yeah. The, the two that I, I remember listening to the most when I first like listened to this album all the way through were All of Me, because I think it's like it has a very catchy sure. chorus. And yeah. then um, Real Life. Yeah. Those were like the two that I think I went back to most often. Yeah. Interesting. What about, you? what about you, Mace? So my, like, after listening to this album, my requisite two times and then one third speed round, I think the four that I really like are Brothers, The Top, All of Me, Green Grass, and None Such. And those all kind of, um, uh, those are the four that really stick out to me. I'm with you guys that it's like, the first three album tracks I could like take as like an EP and it would be almost perfect, I think. And then once it gets into the weeds and it starts like relying more on the band's influences is when I kind of like tend to draw away from it a little bit, I think. Um, I think that they have such a well-defined like um, style and sound at the top of the album with brothers, like this very, um, sort of Brooklyn-y thing of you like you're alone in a crowded house almost it feels very um uh like in the winter sure like, mm. um there's this great song that I was thinking of when I was listening to this called uh, a great design by black marble that's kind yes. of the same feeling mm-hmm. I also um uh but then the poppiness of all of me I really like and I just love the energy of green grass and none such uh Chef Ian, I was curious if you have any thoughts on the band Bastille because oh. I was listening to this and it <laughs> really was like, oh, did Bastille just pick this up and run with it? Like, it was so uh, that was an interesting parallel. I thought. Yeah, the they are very similar. I would say, like in terms of like the backing tracks or like the beats that they use, I mm-hmm. I would agree that there's like a either a common ancestor or some kind of direct relation kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What stands out for me, I guess, in Tan Lines in comparison to Bastille or other similar bands are the vocals. Um, the mm. main vocalist for Tan Lines, I believe, is Eric M. And he has, like, a very, very distinct uh, whine. <laughs> like, I always, when I listen yeah. to it, it, when I listen to it, it always sounds like, what I think in my head is like, oh, it's kind of like a sad dog, <laughs> like a noise <laughs> kind of thing, which is not like a diss. Like, I like it. Like, I feel like it captures the main emotion that I often like feel when I listen to this music, which is kind of like, uh, it's melancholy, but it's being delivered in a more poppy or like up tempo package, you know? Yeah. Did you, you listen to the album? Oh, sorry. Oh, Noah. All I, listen, I, Hey, look, I, I'm gonna, I love you. I'm going to kiss you. And I love that you I love that. We just road bumped each other there. All I wanted to say real quick. And then you can say what you wanted to say is at its best. And this, 
goes for both of you, but really this is for really this is for Mason. So Ian, you can hit it for a sec. You can just mm-hmm. beat it for a sec. But uh, <laughs> but you know what? At its best, this remind this album reminded me of it was of a very recently discussed uh, band on this show, and that is TV on the Radio. At mm. its best, it oh, kind of reminded okay. me of TV on the Radio. We just covered Dear Science, which is a great album. Love it. Great songs on that. And at its at its best, at least for me. Uh, when you did hear a little bit more of a guitar influence as opposed to, I guess, like a machine influence, yeah. uh, so to speak. It really did kind of remind me of TV on the Radio. They're both Brooklyn bands. I think TV on the Radio is a little bit harder to pin down as far as genre is concerned. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Tan Lines definitely feels like you're at – I like that what you said also, Ian, that it's like if you feel – or you know, I'm sorry, Mason said this, I'm sorry, but you feel like alone in a crowded house or whatever. Like this just kind of feels like – that it encapsulates that feeling, and it also, I think, gives you a very specific sense of place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was writing down, like, other bands that it reminded me of, and one of the, like, a lot of them were, like, 80s, like, kind of new wave adjacent bands, like Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, or Young Marble Giants. I want to bring Young Mar- Marble Giants on their show, actually. Uh, not them. I don't know if they're still around, but they're first some of their songs anyways the other band and this album came up when i was listening to it but it's after so i'm curious if this was an influence on them but uh i'm all ears by let's eat grandma for a couple years ago which is uh one of my favorite albums from like probably the last five or so years i think about that album and listen to it uh all the time and it really uh especially with i'm all ears or sorry all of me reminded me of some of my favorite like poppier uh, tracks off of that so it does it's interesting to me to listen to this too because i feel like so much of like my because i'm a little bit older than you guys as i think has been established on you're much older than episodes. me i think you and ian are actually relatively close uh, yeah ma- ma- how, like if you were a senior in 2012 you're maybe just like a year older than me oh gotcha okay that makes yeah. sense then um yeah. No, little little baby Noah on the podcast. I'm dumb in his pajamas. Jammies, <laughs> literally podcast, podcasting in your jammies. That's listen. That's hitting in 2020. I think that's kind of the way that things are going to trend. But uh, continue. No, don't mind the baby. Uh, no, but I listened to this. So this. So I listened to this, and I was definitely thinking about like a lot of this the music that defined my like later college career. So like kind of probably early college for Noah, but like. Remember when Tropical House <laughs> was a big fuck, yeah. thing in pop music? Like this was yeah. this, listening to this, I was like, okay, it's interesting that that stuff was percolating kind of at the same time. Like this, like um, you're in the club and it's Caribbean night almost sort of sound. Um, it reminded me of like I was listening to this and I thought I was listening, listening to Popline Hotline Bling sometimes even or Hotline Bling would come into my head. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. I couldn't tell you on which tracks, but it was just a weird, like, kind of, uh, it was a very interesting experience listening to this album. No, they're definitely part of, like, as a band and the music they make, it's definitely part of, like, a larger movement that was going on at the time of, like, yeah, those tropical influences, like, world music, that kind of thing. Yeah. And what's extra strange to think about is, like, that coming back to the fore with, like, chill wave, uh, dark wave, all that kind of, like, 80s-inspired synthy stuff. Yeah. Is really reflecting like an older movement that happened with like Simon and like uh, Paul Simon. Like Graceland has a similar like we're gonna have some you know tropical sounds. We're gonna yeah, have some like, sure, African yeah. rhythm that kind of thing. Um, yeah, 
or David I feel like it's Byrne, something that's which always will not who yeah. will not be coming back up on this podcast this episode. Yeah, no, we're never gonna hear from that guy again on this episode. <laughs> um, Ian, it sounds like you you listen to a lot of this kind of music as far as like a spectrum is concerned. And so I'm curious, where does this fall in terms of like how, how hard it goes, I guess, for lack of a better term, (laughs) because like some people listen to this kind of music and I, I guess just in an umbrella term, although chef Thomas Serdarian will be upset that I'm about to say this in the general term EDM in the most Mm -hmm. general music, it's electronic music, but where, how hard do you actually go with EDM or is this kind of your wheelhouse? This is kind of as far as I go. I've tr- I've been trying recently to expand into a little more just like pure electronic music or even more like ambient stuff. Sure. Um, but I, ha- I haven't developed as much of a taste for it. I like That's this. Okay. This is very approachable to me. <laughs> like this, this music. I agree. Like part of why I like it is like yeah. it was a good introduction to this style, and I just never really moved beyond it. Yeah, it's like I'm happy that this is your introduction to this kind of music. Um, I feel like that definitely informs you and you as a person. Uh, my introduction to this kind of music was LCD Sound System, which yeah. you know, uh, pretty. So that was a pretty depressing couple of years listening to music there. <laughs> Dude. But a good band. But oh a my great God. band. Yeah. A gr- literally, have you guys band. seen uh, Shut Up and Play the Hits? Yes. Yeah, great movie. Amazing movie. I watched that with former guest and friend of the pod, Alan Macchiarolo. We hey. sat in his uh, room, and I think I was a freshman at the time, and he must have been a junior uh, in college, and we were sitting there watching this in his little room, and I, I don't think I really had given them a fair shot or I just wasn't that into them at the time. But literally watching that movie, it's kind of a longer, it's like closer to two and a half hours probably, over the course of the runtime, literally became a believer. Like I went from a non-believer <laughs> yeah. to a believer in LCD sound system uh, at the time. They're much more, I feel like, eclectic as far as the instrumentation and the actual yeah. overall sound goes than tan lines. I feel like tan lines found their like, four or five sounds or like moods that they like shift between. And they yeah. just said, yeah. baby, this is my dance move. You know what I mean? Definitely. Thank you. I would say like LCD sound system is actually going to be even more similar to TV on the radio in terms oh, of like definitely. making that comparison. To, yeah. And there are definitely peers yeah. in that way too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I don't know uh, if I have much more about this album. Noah, do you have anything pressing it regarding tan lines, mixed emotions? Uh, let's see. Let's uh, check the notes. Oh, I did find a very interesting quote uh, that I found uh, just fitting uh, for them. Uh, Straddling the line between mainstream indie and classist pop. That was the first yep. quote. <laughs> and then blending some dance floor worthy pop gems with the sound of the eighties. I just thought those quotes were, they were kind of, they're kind of silly, but like, I think they kind of capture it at least as far as it's concerned uh, from my experience. And then the only other thing I wanted to say is that the track yes way reminded me of donkey Kong country. And I don't know why. I think that's the one that I wrote video game music. Oh no, that's not the one. Oh, I wrote Michael Fronty spearhead on that one. That was the band. Uh, Oh, also I wanted to point out, uh, there's a Beach Boys sort of reference in the song Lost Somewhere that I thought was pretty, pretty really? cute. 
Yeah, he goes, uh, he quotes, I know there's an answer. He says, like, you want to get lost somewhere or something like that, or Ian would know better. I don't remember the exact line, but I, that does sound <laughs> the familiar to me. of that song, but he does say... Uh, Gonna be honest. He say it in the, he does say it in the manner of, I know there's an answer. Uh, that's a beach... It was. It's coming off of our Beach Boys discussion. Seemed very cool. Uh, it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. It's all connected. Uh, Ian, do you have anything else that you want to say uh, to cap um, off this discussion about tan lines? I'm trying to think. I have two things. One of them is a story, and one of them is like a summary of my thoughts. Do you Please, want to hear perfect. the story first? Give them to us in yes. that order. Okay. <laughs> so for the story, uh, right around when they were going to release that second album, which is called Highlights, um, which came out in 2015, they started doing this weird like marketing campaign where they pretended like they were... Uh, um, some kind of business, like some kind of like a B2B business. And they announced the album like with this kind of like press release as if they were one of these like kind of corporate businesses or whatever. And I actually listened to that uh, second album highlights in its entirety on like a business call that they hosted. It was like a, a, like a, a number that you called into and oh, then they boy. started it like it was like an earnings call for like a you know apple or whatever and then they wow. just started playing the songs <laughs> um, that's pretty silly <laughs> and everyone was like in character and it was just very it was very strange like because i sat in my car outside my parents house and i just listened to the whole album with a bunch <laughs> oh, of other boy. like a thousand other people it was very strange uh, what's that what is that like i mean do they are they playing the album like does it sound good coming through a phone uh, no, it didn't sound good. Like, it sounded like a bad Zoom. Like, it sounded yeah. like a bad Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. It was more, I, I don't know, it was like a true fan experience, I guess, because there was, it was not the optimal way yeah. <laughs> to listen to those songs. Um, were people talking over each other, or, like, were people pretty quiet, or, like, how did that sound? They would mute us during the songs and then, like, unmute us in between. <laughs> so people chaos. could ask questions. Oh yeah. That's the, uh, that's, that's so nutty. Who even... Yeah. That's uh, very bizarre. Uh, so that's your story. Um, that's my what story. Are, what are your final thoughts on this album? Final thoughts? Um, I don't know. Like, this is like a very, the type of music they make and like the genre that they play in is like a very comfortable space for me. That kind of intersection of like world music, 80s synthy stuff um, with like a beat that you can kind of move to. I feel very comfortable yeah. there. And uh, I don't know. This album, like, Regardless of like how it sounds to me now, which I'll be honest, it doesn't sound as like revelatory as it did sure. the first time I listened to it. Um, right. It'll always hold like a special place in my heart because of like I feel like the emotion it captures. Because that kind of like melancholy that I find in those songs is something that I felt a lot like end of high school going into college. Right. So this is one of those albums that was like a good companion for kind of like a transitional like liminal stage of my life. Totally. I think yeah. that's. I think that's. Yeah. A, I think that's a really like, very good point to be listening to this kind of sound. Yeah. Like, I think that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think that this also would have it had I not pivoted into LCD sound system and found this first instead. Um, I think it would really capture that kind of like, uh, existential like, like malaise or you know has essential excitement mixed with malaise, whatever that complicated mix of that this album captures so well, it would speak out, uh, speak to me a little more than that. But here I am, I'm 26 years old, 
I've been out of college for a very long time. Hell yeah. I have, uh, I, and I'm listening to this for the first time, and I'm just like, this is kind of cute. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I don't know if I would recommend this. Uh, like they said, the four songs that I really liked, I really liked. That's Brothers, All of Me, Green Grass, and None Such. Um, but more than that, I'm like, I don't know. It just was not for me this time. Uh, yeah, I think that I am struggling to decide if this is a full do not recommend or a conditional recommend, uh, because I think that if you like, are you just, if you are a fan of this kind of thing, then you probably have heard it at this point. So maybe it's not like this, like undiscovered gem. So I'm going to say conditional recommend only in that I do think that there are some tracks here that uh, are worth listening to. Uh, and I think it all depends on what your vibe is, because I do think this is sort of a two thirds vibey, melancholy, electronic sort of thing. And then one third, almost this like guitar version of that, whatever that means. So I'm going to say light I'm going to be Fantano here and go light conditional recommend for mixed emotions by tan lines. And sir, Ian, do you recommend this album? Um, I do recommend it, Yes, but if, if I would say, if you have any hesitancy whatsoever, <laughs> listen to all of me, like just listen to a single. Cause right. you'll probably get what you need out of it. Like I won't lie and say that they aren't repetitive with like what they do. So I think you, if you listen to like one good single, you might get the picture and you'll probably get just as much enjoyment as you would listening to the whole album. I think that that is a very, I think that's a, I think you're braver than the Marines for saying that <laughs> Jeff Ian. So uh, thank you very much. And speaking of being braver than the Marines, maybe you're not braver than the Marines, but you are braver than the mob <gasps> for saying that. <laughs> I just segue King to the shit out of you, Mason, you motherfucker. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we got a movie for you guys this week as well. Yeah, thanks for coming. No, so we got a movie this week. Uh, Chef Ian, can you tell us a little bit about this movie? We've got a fantastic movie from 1988. Um, it stars Michelle Pfeiffer, yes, chef. Uh, Dean Stockwell, yes, chef. Alec Baldwin yes, for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, Chef. For a huge second. Yeah, Matthew Modine. Um, yeah, baby. It is a mixture of genres, but like Noah segued with, it is first and foremost a mob movie. Totally. Um, it's a crime movie. Um, it's called Married to the Mob, and it's directed by one of uh, America's darling filmmakers, uh, Jonathan Demme. Claps, 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 claps. Uh, you pretty much made Mason's year when you said that you were going to bring on a Jonathan Demme film. Uh, I'm not not a Jonathan Demi fan, but I know Mason is particularly a big fan. I re- I do Jonathan like Demi. the Demi. I do. Um, and this was a real treat to re- get a chance to rewatch this. Chefs, you know the first time I saw this movie, you know where I saw this movie for the first time? A pizza restaurant. <laughs> the I was going to say a plane. Beverly Cinema. Oh yes! Double bill. This and something wild. It was a wow. Uh, good evening. It was a good bill actually. Yeah. Uh, you, what was first? I think something wild was first. Yeah, that makes sense. So they did chronological. I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Because um, I had seen something wild before then, and I hadn't seen Married to the Mob, uh, so I was going to stick around to watch that. But yeah, Chef uh, Ian, thank you for bringing this on the pod. I'm, I'm very happy that you did. My pleasure. <laughs> what it's is my your... it's my favorite Demi. 
Oh, oh wow! Now okay. that is a hot. Now that is a take. Not. I'm not saying it's a hot wrong, take. That is a hot take. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Lot, lots to unpack there. But before we really, <laughs> before we really dive into that, I want to ask you, Chef Ian, how'd you come? Ac- how'd you come across this movie? What's your relationship to Jonathan Demi? What's your really all the all the all the uh, basic shit? But yeah, yeah, how'd you how'd you get introduced to Jonathan Demi and Married to the Mob? So, Mr. Jonathan Demi, I saw Rachel getting married a long time ago, like probably too early, like where I wouldn't, I didn't really appreciate it the first time I saw it. Sure. Um, <laughs> I think it was on Netflix and I was like reading one of those lists of like the best movies on Netflix or whatever. <laughs> and yes. I watched it because I was like, oh, Anne Hathaway, like that, that should be fun. Um, <laughs> That's going to be a really fun experience. Yeah. <laughs> and that movie is not, I mean, it's. It's fun, but it's more in like a visceral sense. Uh, sure. After that, I didn't really think about Jonathan Demi or his films until I started, like, until I went to film school and you learn about Paul Thomas Anderson and you watch There Will Be Blood for the first time and you're like, oh my God, who is this guy? Yeah. And then you, you know, you go back and you fill in his back catalog or whatever. And then you read the interviews where he says, like, oh, my biggest inspiration, like, my mentor was Jonathan Demi. If I could be inspired by any three filmmakers, it would be Jonathan Demi, Jonathan Demi, Jonathan Demi, or whatever. The classic, the classic quote. Yeah. Classic quote. Um, so at that point, I was like, hmm, maybe I should look into this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it wasn't until they did the little mini series on Blank Check that I actually decided, like, I'm going to seriously go back and watch there you all go. of them. Yeah. Um, so I did. <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed it. He's a fantastic filmmaker. Not a lot of duds he, in that filmography. Like, even The Manchurian Candidate, which I haven't seen in, like, literal years, um, mm-hmm. still sits kind of fondly in my memory. Even though there's no reason for it to really exist, and it's not entirely, you know, quote-unquote successful, uh, yeah. I still have a fond impression of it, you know? Yeah, even his clunkers are still interesting, because, like, he just makes... I don't know, he has, like, an... Him and his team have, like, a very interesting way of, like, tackling story oh, i feel like for sure and character like performances you know yeah it's interesting that here your first introduction to him wasn't silence of the lambs i feel like that <laughs> is most people's whether they know it or not introduction to him because that is such an iconic movie and such a uh it kind of transcends its genre in a yeah. lot of ways because it's technically a horror movie if you wanted to call it that it's a thriller those often don't get oscar attention but not only did that movie get big time oscar attention it's one of the only three movies to have won all five of the major awards and so that's interesting that that wasn't your first uh experience with him as i feel like it is most people so definitely mine thank you for sharing that yeah i was just gonna say mace what is your uh your intro to the man because i know you love Silence of the Lambs. Silence like, of the Lambs like is, is my kind of like go-to answer for favorite movie. Um, just because it's like when I think of when I'm trying to communicate like what that movie is, it's like, oh, I can literally watch it whenever. And there's like something new and I'm always as entertained as I was the first time. And sometimes even more entertained than I was the first time. It's a very meaningful movie for me. And Jonathan Demi wasn't a filmmaker that I was giving like kind of uh, a a, a ton of attention to, even though he had directed Silence of the Lambs, um, that was just kind of like, I found it and that's, that's it basically. And then as I'm like, you know, l- like, um, you know, Edgar Wright was a big guy for me for a little bit. And I think he cited Jonathan Demi as a, and Brian De Palma as like influences. And so I got really into both of those guys. Uh, and it wasn't honestly until like I got out of college 
and that I started like really watching like the kind of deeper demis like this one like um, something wild like um, Melvin and Howard even um, Ricky and the Flash Ricky and the Flash <laughs> Rachel getting married um, it's it's he's a great filmmaker and he's a very humane filmmaker and he really like has I think a really interesting way into especially in this early part of his career has a really interesting way into genre movies like the um uh like the thriller with silence of the lambs or the uh like this like the mob movie like in married to the mob so let's get into married um, to yeah the mob. i think that uh let me say what my wanted to say about me getting into jonathan demi first okay no. this yes. is my podcast this is my podcast and well it's me and mason's podcast but uh the <laughs> the I think yeah I think I saw Silence to the Lam- Silence, Silence to the Lambs I saw that <laughs> uh, saw that one first uh, one of the best movies ever made straight up uh, you know it's not without its twenty uh, first century modern day problems specifically in the Buffalo Bill uh, characterization um, but nonetheless it's a great movie through yeah. and through. Uh, even despite some of the things that haven't aged very well. And then I remember distinctly watching Philadelphia as well, which I don't know if that has aged well or not as far as its depiction of AIDS or not, or if it has even mattered to age well or not. But I remember watching that, getting that DVD from DVD Netflix. Do you folks remember DVD Netflix? Did you get it from Netflix, Quickster, or DVD.com? Oh fuck! Oh dear! Netflix, I think okay. I don't. I don't know, but I because you know how they Netflix. like split off the DVD business, and it was like Quickster, and then they're like, "That's stupid." DVD.com. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't know actually. Well, so we were my family was doing DVD Netflix like honestly straight from the start, and I remember Blockbuster had a competitive yes. thing. Yeah. And my dad did that for a while, and their thing was if you brought in your DVDs from block. It was called blockbuster express. Right. And if you bring in your DVDs from blockbuster express in store, it like counts as a rental or something yeah. like that. Like it counts. And you could as- exchange it like yes. right there in the store. Yeah. And that was crazy. And we had a yeah. blockbuster super close to our house, you know, obviously before, you know, they don't exist except there is one that exists in the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously if this wasn't, you know, I don't think it's going to last <laughs> in Corona. I really don't think the last blockbuster is going to last in Corona, but uh, he was just always a guy that I had watched those two. He's also a producer on adaptation, which is one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite movies. Um, and I didn't really give a fuck about him, I guess, as like a guy prior to like really understanding who he is. And I always am interested uh, in the fact that PTA is so interested in Jonathan Demi, and Barry Jenkins because too, to, I think has quoted him as a, as a reference. And I think that I, I don't know as much about the Barry Jenkins one, but at least as far as the PTA like references, and I'm just I'm just totally speaking from the heart here. I don't see it. Like I, I actually don't see the influence on screen, and that's okay. Like I don't have to see the influence necessarily on screen. And maybe it's because I'm just not as well-versed in Demi, maybe potentially as you guys are, but I always look at PTA as more of a Robert Altman, like disciple as far as uh, if you want to call him a disciple, one thing, maybe he's like a mixture 
of the two. You know, I think that that might be a fair argument as well. Not dissing PTA. I'm not dissing Jonathan Demi by saying it. I just don't see it as much as he talks about him being an influence, but he clearly he is, you know, I think punch drunk love is probably a Demi movie. If PTA hadn't made it, I think that that's a movie Demi would have made. But, uh, I remember, uh, also watching something wild, uh, during the spring break between my sophomore and junior year. And that Mason, you might remember from the spring break, the legendary spring break rundown spring list. Spring break rundown uh. list, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, during the Sunny Dion Jr. episode <laughs> where I literally watched like 21 movies in like in the course of a spring break, which, you right. know, pretty much killed me. Um, but yeah, he's an interesting director. Uh, there's no getting around it. He's made some very uh, uh, idiosyncratic films, uh, yeah, to say the word. least. And I think that is what people like about him. But. Enough about me. <laughs> enough about me. And certainly Ian. enough about me. And certainly enough <laughs> about Mason. Ian, what uh-huh. the fuck do you like so much about Married to the Mob, and why is it your favorite Demi? That's the greatest so, thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I think his, his, the quality that I see in all of his films, regardless of like the genre, is that like whatever that nebulous feeling of like heart is, or like humanism or something like it feels like a nice person made these movies do you know what i mean yeah does that make sense to you yes and and in fact that's like the biggest difference i would notice between like a demi film and a pta film is like i think demi is a nicer man like i don't want to speak to character but i think demi is like a nicer man than paul thomas anderson you might not want to speak to it paul thomas anderson is definitely much more intense than jonathan demi was i would think uh yeah he's like a little more caustic a little more like acidic you know and it's made more interesting dramas i think like i see the similarities between the two of them the most in like their comedy work i would say yeah um but yeah I, i think married to the mob what sticks out to me is like all the like meta fictional aspects of it how it is like a mob movie that gets interrupted because the main character of the mob movie doesn't want to participate anymore and wants to be in like a romance movie, you know, or like a rom-com kind of thing. And like the mob movie like keeps butting in that aspect. I don't know. I, every time I watch it, I've seen it multiple times now. I own it or whatever on Blu-ray. And uh, every time I watch it, I'm always struck by like how clever that arrangement is. That's a very interesting way of putting that. I guess I didn't really think about it uh, in that sense of, it's a mob movie that's interrupted by a rom-com, but I think that's very accurate and very astute observation. Shift. Yeah. Thank and, you it, for that. and it definitely works on both levels. Like this is a really entertaining mob movie and it's also such a sweet romance. And when the two like inexorably meet and like uh, towards the end, it's like such a perfect mash of those, like the narrative, necessities of those two genres at the very end there like when the couple gets together and when the like mob shootout happens uh it's so much fun and so cathartic this is such a like have any of you guys seen the movie will success spoil rock hunter no no but i know that you just watched i just watched it uh right before right before watching married to the mob and i think their their anarchic spirits are very similar like um uh, well, Success Spoil Rock Hunter is like, um, a, like 
a satire, like an, an advertising age satire on like television and stuff. But it like has all these That's like cool. zany fourth wall breaks and there's all these bright colors. There's nothing so explicit as a fourth wall break in this movie. But there are a couple times where you can kind of feel like Jonathan Demi poking up from behind the camera, giving us a little wink, which I really, really, really love. In this. Yeah, there are like individual scenes where you can tell they like turn the dial a little bit in terms of like yeah. what's allowed in the world of the movie. You yeah, know? like it gets a little sillier or it gets a little more like zany, you know, um, I, d- I definitely the see that. Scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, who's your uh, who's your standout uh, performance in this movie? Because I think regardless if you're watching this as a fan of Demi or you're watching this as a fan of like just movies in general, if you're just have this on, I think the one thing that I think everyone can agree on is that the performances in this movie are pretty damn fire. Yeah. Uh, incredibly. On all accounts. Who are, who is your favorite? Who's your, who's your uh, S tier performance in this film? S tier performance. Uh, it's going to be a, t- well, hmm. I think the one that I always enjoy seeing every time, like that feels fresh to me every time is the, is Matthew Modine as like the FBI agent really? as Mike okay. or whatever. Nice. Um, I just really like that kind of leading man is always going to speak to me. It might be like my twin peaks feelings, you know, that I still sure. have. Cause he's very much like in the twin peaks, like agent Cooper school of like oh, what an yeah. FBI agent is. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Super like honest. an FBI agent is like an, yeah. Like a nice cartoon man. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> He's flat Stanley. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so that that always gets me, but I really like Michelle Pfeiffer in this. Like before oh, I saw course. this movie, I had never seen a movie where she was the lead. I'd only seen her in supporting roles. Sure. Um so seeing her in this, I was like, damn, like she is a talented <laughs> like she's a she's talented so actor. She's so good in this. Um yeah. Yeah, she's so she's so red good. hot. Noah, who's your favorite I was gonna, performance in oh, the movie? Oh, I was going to ask you, Mason. Too bad. I was going to ask first. you. I asked you Can first. we say it at the same time? Uh, okay. Okay. All right. We'll go on one. Okay. That's a little bit of an in-joke for my friends here. Ready? Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. One. Mercedes, Mercedes Ruel! Uh, yes! Nice. <laughs> Yes, Connie. that is Hell fucking yeah. awesome. Connie oh. is amazing. First time I watched the movie, and every time after, it's Mercedes Ruel. And this is actually the second time I watched it. I don't know what I meant by that, but Mercedes Ruel for, <laughs> for breakfast, lunch, and fucking dinner. Great performance in this movie. Um, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in this movie. Um, but I think the I think the edge for me goes to Mercedes Ruel, and I think it's only in the fact that her character is more funly written. Yeah, like yes. Michelle Pfeiffer is giving a awesome performance, but Mercedes Rule's character of Connie, who's married to Mr. Dean Stockwell in this film, ostens- ostensibly, uh, <laughs> is she just has more fun things she gets to do. You know, yeah. like that's no yeah. fault to Michelle Pfeiffer's at all, um, but she's just a hoot to watch if I do say so myself and the way that she is involved in the finale of this film oh, is yes. very smart and very well written. And it just makes me, it just makes me smile. Like, ah, yes, of course that she's involved <laughs> in this way. And of course she's causing ruckus. I think she's almost the kind of like, if she doesn't work, then like the kind of like wacky over the top tone almost doesn't work. Like she is one of the only characters in the movie that I think is at the movie's level Everybody else totally. seems to be just, like, existing as this is their everyday life, you know? Like, this is just how heightened things normally are for them. But for with Mercedes Ruel, it's almost like I she's an identifiably, like, 
fun, zany, like, uh, silly person. And I'm watching that, I'm like, oh, this is how the movie wants me to feel about... She's, like, the way into the movie for me, almost. More so than Michelle Pfeiffer's character, I think. Can we quickly talk about... I'm sorry, Ian, were you about to say something? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like, whatever sense of comedy the film has, it is definitely grounded in whatever her performance is. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever her performance allows. Yeah. No, she is she is bringing the heat on this. And again, it's not Michelle's Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer's fault. Saying that three times fast, uh, that I didn't like her performance more. I think she's doing an amazing job. Uh, Connie's just a much more fun character to watch. Um, I was gonna say, can we talk quickly about the art direction? Incredible of this film? job! Incredible art direction because it is. This is pre The Sopranos. This predates The Sopranos by eleven years. And it predates Goodfellas by two years. Right. So the real, the mob movie in popular culture that we're, that people know about going in, uh, most recently, obviously, the Godfather exactly. trilogy. Exactly, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't get Godfather 3 for two more years either until uh, 1990. So the last Godfather movie comes out 14 years yeah. prior to this. And then you also have all like the Edward G. Robinsons, you know, only angels have wings or angels with dirty faces, excuse me. Um, and like that kind of shit. And you, those are like bulldog, you know, I right, see kind yeah, of movies. Yeah. And so you really don't have to my knowledge. I could be wrong here, folks, but to my knowledge, you don't have a fun mob movie like this, you know? No, I agree. I can't think of another like, yeah, because this is not like, um, I feel like in the 90s, because I've just been watching a lot of Siskel and Ebert, and when you're watching a lot of Siskel and Ebert on YouTube, you're reminded, quote-unquote, of movies that just um, don't exist <laughs> and nobody's thought about yeah. in 30 years. Um, yeah. And I feel like there's definitely that. a string in, like, the 90s, but after this, after this movie of just, like, really bad, like, wannabe Tarantino mob movies... But nothing totally. as far as I know in, like, the 80s that's, like, vibrant. You know, I feel like the mob genre before this, even in, like, the 40s is very, or 50s, is very, like, dour <laughs> and very intense. Well, I, I guess, like, in this decade, and the Michelle Pfeiffer connection is alive, you have Scarface five oh, years prior, yeah. which is like a, it's not a, like, Italian mafia movie, but, you know, it's a crime movie that involves mobs of criminals yeah so. an organized crime movie. yeah 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 100 yeah, percent. but uh i did i derailed completely the art direction topic <laughs> that i brought up myself i completely got this train off the rails the interiors of these homes in the is it long island is it new jersey is it clear do we know i was trying to figure that out i don't know i assumed new jersey I but it too. could very well be long island i assume new jersey we know? knowing nothing about the east coast but i just <laughs> it's like oh probably yeah. jersey she like yeah. drives on the freeway to get to new york so i'm assuming she might be yeah they take the mta i don't know if you can take that from long island but again i wouldn't know i'm not a oh, east coast boy the uh yeah who knows <laughs> and we'll and we'll and we'll never know but we'll never know whatever it is it's not it doesn't necessarily matter but like the interior of their home uh, when Mr. Alec Baldwin is with us in the film, uh, minor spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen the film, but, uh, Alec Baldwin isn't in the movie for very long. You might think, oh, this is going to be an Alec Baldwin film. Uh, you are wrong. It's a great little bait and switch. It is. It is. And I bet you 
uh, Mason and Ian that uh, Miami Blues does not happen <laughs> uh, if he's not giving this performance in this movie because that comes out two years later. Demi is a producer yeah. on Miami Blues, yeah. so we got a little connection say. there. Yeah. Um, we have the, yeah, the art direction is stupendous. That restaurant that they go to that's like the castle. Uh, oh, yes. Restaurant. The little guy, so the, little, the little night guy in front that they're all like antagonizing too. And they're always like smacking him on yeah. the head. <laughs> um, do we have a favorite part of this film, Chef Ian? Is there one part that stands out to you? Uh, I think the third act of this movie is very strong. Um, basically, totally. yeah. I mean, we should. I, I should highlight this. It's interesting that we talked about and did a little like scene setting for like the history of mob movies leading up to this. Because it is great that this movie is as out there as it is, and that it it's bringing like a really clever twist, which is like, what if the mob movie was about the mob wife, right? Rather yeah. than like the member of the mob, you know? Mm, totally, um, it's like widows. How but, widows would pick up the ball fifteen years later or whatever. Yeah, widows. Widows did not get enough play. Widows will be on. The, I'm wow. bringing widows on this fucking podcast, Ian. Don't you worry. There you go. Okay, I'm, I'm a widows <laughs> fan. I'm pro. Yes! I'm pro widows. Pro Debicki, Pro Debicki. That's my that's wow. my uh, Instagram handle. It's hot dog Debicki. I don't know if you knew this from having listened to the I podcast. I know. I know. I've heard you talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, the the third act is strong to me because basically what happens is this is not a huge spoiler. You could assume this based off the the movie premise, but uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character um, Angela, yes, um, gets asked gets. Forced by the FBI to uh, be like an informant, essentially. Um, And she travels to Miami with Dean Stockwell's character and uh, Tony the Tiger. And uh, they have this whole sequence in a hotel that is, I think, very good. I think it's the best part of the movie. I would agree. I agree, too. Yeah, I think just from when they're getting on the plane um, and Mercedes Rowell, MVP, (laughs) most... I was going to say Mercedes Valuable Player. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, please, please, please. Uh, when she runs into them and they have to, like, shuffle Michelle Pfeiffer out, like, um, so that Mercedes, so that Connie doesn't see that uh, Angela's going to Miami, up to her, like, phone call. I love her, like, really, like, her, like, little kind of dopey smile when she's getting excited about to call. And then her realization that um, <laughs> the honeymoon suite is already booked. And then, after that whole sequence, probably my favorite bit of visual storytelling in the movie was when um, Dean Sockle was putting together that Matthew Modine had been following him the entire movie, and he just comes through the revolving door, uh, and there's that great, like, kind of oneer into his reflection. I don't know if it's a oneer, but it's like that great camera move into his reflection, and that's, like, that's the aces for me. That or the yeah. um, drive-in scene, the uh, <laughs> like the actual mob part of the mob movie. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you both uh, this question. You hear a lot about the quote-unquote demi close-up. That is something that is a yes. term that gets thrown around a lot. And I think one of the most impressive, I guess, uh, aspects of this film, I think, is the camera work. I think the camera work, 100%. and specifically the the movement of the camera in this movie in particular, uh, creates a lot of the energy and adds and emphasizes a lot of the energy in this. And so I wanted to talk about the camera movement as a whole, but I'll pose this to Chef Ian first since he is our guest. Uh, what do you think the demi, what do you think makes a close-up a demi close-up? I know that's kind of a hard question to answer, but I want to know what you think. 
Um, I mean, it's definitely, I want to see the eyes. I got to see the eyes, and it's got to oh, look yeah. like the eyes are looking at me, like I'm the person talking to this character or threatening <laughs> this character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as it often is the case for uh, poor Angela in this movie. Um, I think that's a large part of it. You should, there's like a sense of emotion or like emotional connection that you get out of these close-ups that you don't, like a normal close-up, I would say. And in fact, like I think one of his movies that does it the best outside of like Silence of the Lambs is uh, Manchurian Candidate. There is a scene in Manchurian Candidate uh, in a classroom where like uh, Denzel and, um, why can't I think of his name? Sabretooth from X-Men, Lee Shriver, uh, are staring at each other. And it's like you can fucking, like, see their soul. Like, you can see their souls connecting. Wow. Um, And I feel like when the... That's, like, the difference between, like, a Demi close-up and, like, a normal one. It's, like, there's some sense of emotion that is not captured normally. Mason, that's a great answer, uh, Chef Ian. Thank you for that. Uh, Chef Mason. Um, I don't know. I think Ian probably summed up that better than I could, honestly. I mean, for me, it is about that connection. It is about either being an audience member or like sitting on my couch or wherever I'm watching this movie. And no matter what screen or no matter I'm watching or the position I am in my relationship to the characters, I feel like I am connecting with somebody through time almost. Um, just those, that direct, that direct close up. Uh, I think Ian said it better than I could have possibly ever <laughs> Um, I think that I think that obviously a hundred percent agreement with both of you. I think the emotional connection that you feel in those close-ups uh, feels almost uh, like why doesn't everyone do that? Right. <laughs> like, you know, like it's kind of like why would you just not do that if you were a director? But I think on a purely technical level, something I noticed at least in Married to the Mob, and I can't speak for any of his other works, but I think something that. Uh, creates that emotional connection and this is a purely technical thing but i think it's a purely technical thing that adds to the emotional depth of it is that they're never square on the subject they always Mm -hmm. feel a little bit not necessarily dirty in the frame but i'm thinking specifically there's one shot I believe of Michelle Pfeiffer in the Lower East Side apartment when she's being uh, either confronted by Connie or Matthew Modine's character. I can't remember, but she the the frame. It's almost like she doesn't have any headroom in the frame, mm-hmm. and they're she's a little her. bit. They're clipping her. She's in like the top left corner of the frame almost, but the way that it's framed, you don't like notice that. That normally wouldn't be the way you would frame a close up, you know, like like historically. But it works because the framing is telling you something about Michelle Pfeiffer, Angela's character in that moment. So I think it's, yes, the emotional connection that you feel, but I think it's also how he's using close-ups in particular moments. You never want to use your close-up too much. You don't want to live in the close-up necessarily. Uh, but when you do punch into the close-up, it's gotta be, there's got to be a reason. You know, there's got to be a reason we're punching in and really connecting with this person right now. And I think he's able to do that through interesting framing. Obviously, we got to shout out Tak Fujimoto, who's a longtime collaborator yes, uh, of Mr. Demi. Didn't Tak also shoot The Sixth Sense? Am I correct yeah. on that? I believe you're right. Damn. I believe so. Guy is a fucking legend. 
uh, straight up. Like he's just done. I think he was. I know this might sound crazy, but the movie Badlands, directed by Mr. Terrence Malick, mm-hmm. I want to say that Tak Fujimoto was one of the cinematographers on that as well. I think that movie's weird in that it has like three credited <laughs> cinematographers or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, I'm um, looking this up right now. So keep. Uh, yeah, he's credited as photography. Photography. And then the next movie he does after that, he's the DP for Cage Teat, which was one of Demi's first movies. Yeah. So they've That's like together. a prison movie. Yeah. Oh, we also yeah. shot Death Race 2000. That rocks. I'm just looking at Doc Fujimoto's <laughs> uh, IMDb page here. Guy's worked on a lot of good stuff. Good cinematography. Guy has worked on a lot of good stuff. Cool guy. Um, you know the guy at the very end of Married to the Mob, uh, the security guard who walks... Uh, Dean Stockwell to the bathroom. You mm-hmm. know that guy that I'm talking about? Yes, mm-hmm. I believe so. I met him in real life. How about that? Oh, wait a Why? second. Wait a minute. <laughs> Was this the same guy from the end of that thing you do? Yes, I think uh, it is. Yes, it's Oba Baba Tunde. That's oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, who's done a million and a half things. Um, I took a directing class in college with this woman named Martha Coolidge who directed Valley Girl. Uh, and some other stuff, and they're friends. And on the last class, he came in, and he talked to us, and he was awesome, and I loved him. And so whenever I see his name uh, in credits, I'm like, yes, I know that. I know you. <laughs> I know you, and I love Jonathan you. Jonathan Demi-related thing we talked about on the pod was, because I remembered Miami Blues, of course, because um, you know I was right. talking about this with my roommate as we were watching Married to the Mob. I'm like, Alec Baldwin doesn't play crazy anymore because it's too like close to his actual too close to home too close to home totally and i feel like part of that is also like hey uh i'm gonna produce your fucking movie (laughs) you know miami blues you have to come be in this movie for they probably shot all of his parts in like two or three days you know he probably wasn't on set uh for very long this and this is also pre uh hunt for red october and pre glengarry glen ross so i'm trying to think what what do we know him from in this situation? Like, what do he we know? Alec TV Baldwin show, is? I think he was on Knott's Landing, I think was this TV show he was on before uh. this, uh, which is one of those like primetime dramas, I think, from the 80s. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking this up right now. You don't have to. I'm also I'm also looking it up, Mace. Uh, Ian, what are some other things it's... you like about this movie? Well, no one I compete to see the <laughs> earliest Alec Baldwin credit. <laughs> yeah, it's not landing. <laughs> other other things I enjoy. Um, oh, Be- Beetlejuice yeah, is I... like right before this. Actually, that's also what we know him from, uh, and she's having a baby. Yes. So Beetlejuice Ian... is excellent. Um, yeah, I. I was thinking a lot about like how we were talking about Michelle Pfeiffer's performance. And I was thinking, I think maybe an interesting thing speaking to like the kind of metafictional element that I enjoy about this movie. It sometimes really feels like she is in a drama and a lot of the other characters are in a comedy. Yeah. And a lot of her discomfort in scenes is like that is due to that. (laughs) A hundred percent. Interesting. Yeah. It's a uh, it's yeah it's interesting that like she's the only person who's really taking herself and her own life seriously and everyone else is kind of has other motives other intentions. It is Do you guys at all I'm sorry Mason I I'm, I was going to talk about something slightly different so continue. I was going to say it is like I think one of the things that makes this movie work so much is that it's very knowingly like kind of um like even down to like Dean Stockwell's suits which are so comically mm. like 50s like stereotypical gangster it's like yeah pitched 
either just above or just below parody, but without being outright like labeled as a satire or a spoof, I don't think. Totally. Because right. there's that center. And yeah, Mercedes Ruel is the most entertaining performer in the movie and definitely my MVP, my Mercedes Valuable Player. But there's like a heart that I think of when I think of this movie. It's like that classic Demi heart I think we were talking about at the beginning of this discussion. There's yeah. a heart that I think about when I think about this movie that's brought on by Demi and also in his like... Uh, this brought on by Demi definitely, but I think credit for the reason why this movie has such a deep beating heart is on Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, like I know that we said, totally. you know... The tonal center of the movie is Mercedes Zarell's character, and like if she does that character doesn't work and isn't that heightened, then I think the rest of the movie feels very um, just kind of manic and unfocused. But like the kind of center of that carousel, if you would, is is Michelle Pfeiffer, and she fucking uh, rocks. Didn't she get like a hundred Academy Award nominations, like and without winning one? Is that correct? Not a hundred, but like so. a bunch in a row. Like wasn't she nominated for this? No, I would be- she, I would believe she, that she's been nominated, but maybe not for this. Oh, no, okay. she was nominated for Fabulous Baker Boys oh, okay. the next year. Um, I know that for sure. I think she's been nominated three times, I want to say. I don't have the figure in front of me. Is one um, of them for Mother? Oh, God. Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> God, She's kind of fun in that. Like, she's, you know, scary. Talk about a movie, I will say, maybe one of my favorite cameos of all time is in Mother with Miss Kristen Wiig just fucking showing up out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that movie is ex- insanely divisive, and so is uh, Mr. Darren Aronofsky. Um, I wanted to actually say, you know, we haven't really talked about him a ton, but this movie did get nominated for an Oscar for Dean Stockwell's <laughs> performance. Which is, uh, nuts. Which, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is kind of nuts because... As I'm watching this, I knew that going in. Like, okay, Dean Stockwell was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. He's a good actor. I love him in Blue Velvet. He has a great heat check performance, as Bill Simmons would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, he has a great performance in Paris, Texas, in a really awesome supporting role. He had a great little run in the 80s. Was this just to say, like, hey, we we see you, we recognize you, we support you from the Academy? I mean, it has or to be, you guys, right? Like... It, well, I'm I'm wondering because do you guys actually think he was deserving for this performance? I I have questions about it. There are performances I enjoy more in this movie, totally. Um, that I think are more in, like I think are just more interesting. Also, you know, like he's playing it pretty straight in regards to like what we expect of like a mob guy, like a mob boss. You know, definitely. Totally. Yeah, I think that it it it's it's I don't know. I mean, I do. It must be just kind of like. Uh, I think Noah, your instinct is correct. That it's just like we know you've had this great decade, and we're not actually going to give it to you, but we just want to let you know that we see you because he lost to uh Kevin Klein that year for a fish called Wanda, which is a pretty great performance. And it's like, yeah, you know, it has to be like they were gonna. It was like the the we see you, Dean, end of decade run kind of thing. Uh, but man, just. I don't really want to rewatch A Fish Called Wanda, actually, because uh, that's another <laughs> funny movie. It is technically a British comedy, so I will not be joining you on that. But <laughs> um, uh, I do also want to uh, quickly shout out two people in this movie, one of whom is very obvious and one of whom is not. Um, Joan Cusack in this movie. You got yeah. the Cusack connection. Uh-huh. Uh, last week talked about Love and Mercy, which has Mr. John Cusack. This week we got Married to the Mob, which she's not really featured in the movie, really past, like, I want to say, like, the opening, uh, as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, 
but she's memorable. I do like Joan Cusack. Uh, her best performance, as far as I can tell, is in School of Rock. Uh, and then, did you guys know that Todd Salons is in this movie? I did, and I was looking for him, but I couldn't <laughs> find him. I'm assuming he plays a mobster. No, no, he doesn't he play? actually play a mobster. He's at the very end of the film. I had to look this up because I did not see him in the film. But when uh, Tony the Tiger haha, is being taken through the courthouse and all those reporters are rushing at him, mm-hmm. he is one of the reporters. He's credited as the zany reporter. <laughs> that is who Todd Salons. And this is pre-Welcome to the Dollhouse. This is actually pre his uh, first film, which I believe is called Fear, Anxiety, and Depression. Am I right about that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so he's in this movie. What's up with that? What's what's he doing in this movie? That's I mean, he's like weird. a New York guy, Yeah, and Demi was a New York guy, so they probably like were in the same like artist. That's another thing I that I think about when I think of Demi, is just like his like him having his like and a lot of directors have this but i think more so with demi because he's just has such a good like eye for faces um demi always knows how to cast interesting folks in his movie like you got sister carol showing up again in this as um the proprietor of the hello gorgeous uh beauty salon (laughs) which is that's another place that has impeccable production design uh, oh, totally. Especially in like the lower. I love all the like old grimy New York stuff in this movie because it does make it look like through Tak Fujimoto's lens and through the production design of I forgot to look up the production di- designer and also Colleen Atwood, uh, Queen Colleen's um, fucking costumes in this movie make it look like a vibrant place, which. You know, I feel like so much photography about uh, and around like kind of abandoned buildings and like just sort of like urban decay is like, oh, look at this blighted area. But there is like vibrancy and life there that you can find. And I like that this movie um, goes out of its way to highlight that stuff. And I'm sure none of those places actually exist anymore. And they're all like uh, Disney stores or Pete's Coffee. High rises. High rises. Or, yeah, yeah. Fancy apartments. It's nice yeah. that Jonathan Demme caught it on film uh, for us one last time. That's a good point. Yeah. I think when people think about New York in film, they think about like how when Harry Met Sally looks, you know? Oh, 100%. Like it's very clean. It's so clean. Like it's perfectly clean, perfectly composed, that kind of thing. And this feels, you're right, like a lot more alive and a lot more like natural than mm. uh, other ways that New York has been filmed in the past. Uh, the production designer is Christy Zia, I believe. Z E A. Christy Zia, and then Christy art direction Z? by Z. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then the art direction by Mar Ahmed, M A H E R Ahmad. Excuse me, Ahmad. Set decoration by Nina Ramsey, and then of course costume design by Colleen Atwood. Nice. Yes. Um, that's the art department there. Um, I want to, the only other thing I really wanted to bring up is actually something that I brought up at the beginning, but I do want to kind of hammer home. And that is the, I guess the greater metatextual to coin a phrase that chef Ian used, uh, idea of a mob movie when this comes out, uh, we're watching this movie and this podcast is being recorded in the year of our Lord 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, this movie came out in 1988, which is 32 years ago. Is my math correct on that? Yes. 32 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we know The Sopranos now. We know Goodfellas now. We know The Irishman. We know a lot of other mob things that have sort yeah. of been in the pop culture sphere more so. Peaky than Blinders. Peaky Blinders. <laughs> uh, you want to give us a Peaky Blinders, Chef Ian, real quick? 
Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, there's a lot of mob, mafia stuff uh, that we think about more than think about Married to the Mob. And I'm surprised to say this because I feel like I want to say this stuff with like bigger spectacle movies. Like, I wish I could have seen Star Wars in 1977 mm-hmm. when it first came out. I wish I could have seen Titanic in 1997 when it first came out, mm-hmm. you know, for these big technical reasons. But I really wish I could have seen this in 1988 because I think I would have appreciated it more. I think I would have said, wow, this feels so different than what Mm -hmm. we are used to with a mob story, with a mob setting, because I'm watching the Sopranos right now. It doesn't, now I don't think Angela and Carmela are all that different really. And I just had to throw that out there. You know, I don't want to poo poo the movie at all, but I think it's important to note in 2020, We've gotten some great yeah. mob stuff that is less, more talked about than Married to the Mob. And I, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I don't think that this is nearly, like, even if you're, like, a Demi, like, if you're a big old nerd like me and Ian, and Noah to some extent, you know Jonathan Demi, so yeah. this is somewhat on your radar. And you've probably seen it because either you follow along with Blank Check or you just like it. But if I think you make a great point that our idea of the mafia and especially since this movie it's a very masculine genre it's like what people like mafia and crime movies are what people talk about as being just like bro cinema basically for the most part i feel um and i love that you started off this discussion noah by saying that this was a mob a romantic comedy that was fighting against a mob movie that wants to be in it because this movie isn't really concerned about, like, like in Sopranos, this is, like, what organized mafia, how that extrapolates out to, like, the American dream and capitalism and masculinity and the sort of, like, um, like this boomer kind of Gen Z malaise that you have everything going right and you're not satisfied. This very, like, kind of Bush-era concern, I think. Uh, this is just more of, like, the mafia's in this movie because it's, like, that's the world that Angela's trying to fight out of. It's more of like, uh, totally. she's f- trying to like, she says it like to her son that she's like, wants to make something of herself basically. And like, wants to do something. She doesn't want to just be like provided for by, uh, uh an abuse, like this abusive guy, this abusive guy, this, this cucumber Alec Baldwin guy here. And like <laughs> only have like stolen shit in their house. Like this is a movie about her, um, breaking out of like um her shell almost and it just so happens that the shell is the mafia and it almost like if if she was like from a family of like jewel thieves or something it would more or less be the same movie um and i think that that's why this movie doesn't get like talked about as being like a good mob movie or something because it's like just kind of wants to be a fun enjoyable movie and i'm with you man like this is a fun movie to see on the big screen for the first time in the new Bev, especially around like, yeah. uh, after seeing something wild, which was a favorite of mine before then, and then seeing this for the first time, it was like, Oh, like this is going to the movies used to just be like this basically. And I think we've said this a lot. Like when we've talked about going to the movies and especially to the new Bev, that that movie theater captures this experience of sitting down and not knowing what you're going to get basically. And how fun that totally. is. Um, and I'm with you. I wish I was able to see this um, in theaters when it was first out. Chef Ian, do you have any thoughts, about, final thoughts about this to round us out? Yeah, I. it, it stands out to me, I think, um, 
because I, I really feel like we don't make comedies like this anymore. Like with totally. this kind yeah. of energy and this, uh, that are this playful or playful in this way, you know? Um, so when I think about like, Ooh, do I wish I had seen it when it came out? I think more for that reason. Cause like, just like the film industry was very different when this came out. <laughs> yeah. Than yeah. Now, you know? you say that um, again. Like I wish somebody would make a movie like this now, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, now it would be a 10-episode thing on Netflix or Hulu or something. Right, it would just yeah. feel it'd, a little bit a different. Weird, yeah, it'd be a weird TV comedy or something. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I really do feel like we need more of this energy <laughs> in the film industry today. Um, but yeah, I'll always come back to this movie for the humor, for the heart. Um, but yeah, really, I really love the, the concept and like the feeling that Yes, she's making a name for herself and she's breaking away from this kind of like traditional like family and multiple senses of the word. Right. Um, but that it, this is like a coming of age movie for her in a weird it's way. Like it's a yeah. woman coming into her own, you know, in a way that uh, also doesn't get covered <laughs> as much it's as it probably kind should. Of like, yeah, it's like if it's kind of like if like Working Girl or something or Broadcast News also had like an assa- like a presidential assassin plot in the middle of it or something. <laughs> like, yeah. like movies about like young women in the city. Uh sometimes they have a or Alice didn't live here anymore. Doesn't live here anymore mm. even with a fucking like mm-hmm. uh uh airplane heist. I don't know. I'm just trying to just, <laughs> There's a disaster. It's Alice doesn't live here anymore and there's also the volcano going off or something. But uh yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's a very good point. Uh more comedy. It having that like that strong through line of like her coming into her own makes all of the dramatic irony in the film of like people pretending to be other people and lying to each yeah, other yeah. like that much more interesting because it's like, is anyone being honest with how they feel or how they behave? And when it does happen and they are being honest and conveying how they actually feel, it's like very satisfying in the movie. Agreed. 100%. I like you, when they kiss. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah go, go off, King. Yes. I <laughs> do right, like. Let's... I do like that. <laughs> oh shit! Wait. Are we recording wow. the pod? This isn't after. This isn't. This, <laughs> this isn't just you know guys hanging out talking about Demi. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. No. I think that you're a hundred percent spot on, Ian. Thank you for those uh, observations. The only other thing I want to say in regards to this is I think that. This would make a very cool double feature with another movie that we've actually talked about way back at the beginning of this pod, and that is After Hours. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That was the first guest choice movie that we had on the pod with Chef Dustin Titcomb, of course, yes. a friend of the pod. Um, I think this would make a very interesting pairing, uh, double feature. Uh, the way that New York City is portrayed, actually, uh, I find them to be very tonally similar, if not aesthetically similar i Mm. guess for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term so that's all i really wanted to that's the only other thing i really wanted to say mason that's uh i don't have any other thoughts other than i fully recommend married to the mob nice yeah i I fully recommend it like i said i love demi when he's doing the comedy shit and i feel like that's when i feel like the big heart the most um so that's why this one really works for me uh, I don't mean to be the guy here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to give it a full fledged, like, yes, absolutely recommend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it another, I'm going to do another Fantano. I'm going to say soft recommend. Sure. It's going to be a soft recommend for me. I don't think I like it as much as maybe you guys do. I'm also not as crazy about Demi. I don't think as you guys, but 
It's very fun. It's absolutely worth your time. Uh, yeah, I give this one a soft recommend. So uh, we are done with the show. We're done with the show. That's <laughs> it. That's it. it. Ian. That's the show. Thank yes. you so much for being here with us. You were an excellent guest. Uh, you brought on some great stuff. Where can the folks find you? If they want to find you, where can we find you? Uh, well, physically, I am currently in Irvine, California. Okay. <laughs> Which, yes. if you watch Palm Springs on Hulu, um, yes. is where J.K. Simmons' character is from. You uh, are living with J.K. Yeah. Simmons, right? Yeah, That's I live with J.K. Simmons. Um, he and my That's dad cool. have a interesting relationship. <laughs> of course, very uh, cool. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> totally platonic, but they do share a house, and they did raise me. Yeah, they are uh, roommates. <laughs> they are roommates. They share a roommate. Yeah. Separate beds. Um, yeah, so you can find me in Irvine online. I'm on Twitter um, yep. against my better judgment. Yep. Um, I'm at Soups the name. S-O-U-P-S-T-H-E-N-A-M-E. Yeah. Because um, my last name is Campbell, like the soup. Yeah. Um, you mentioned my newsletter, uh, which you can subscribe to at otherarrangements.substack.com um it's linked on my twitter so if you go there first you can find it it's linked all over the place Hell yeah. um, and i have a letterbox but you don't have to follow that cool and you write for merry-go-round right people can read your shit on there yeah and i write for merry-go-round and uh there might be exciting news in regards to that uh oh very cool uh I'll some f- plans are in the motion how about that yeah Wow. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just wanted to point out the actor yeah. uh, Paul Lazar, who's mm-hmm. one of Demi's um, go-to guys. Uh, looks like Tim Robinson. Oh, yes. uh, that's the only thing I want to say is like, my roommate and I were watching, we're like, that guy looks like Tim Robinson. And I was like, no, that's Jen- Jonathan Demi's lazy-eyed friend, and I forgot his name, and his name is Paul Lazar. <laughs> so uh, shout out to both Tom, Paul Lazar and Tim Robinson, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for those plugs, Chef Ian. You can connect with this show uh, if that is something that you're interested in doing for some godforsaken reason. Uh, you can send us an email at everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. You can follow us on Twitter at it's on the list pod, and you can follow us on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. You can find me. <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you should not follow me, but if you would like to, it's at Moa Narger. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. You can follow me uh, on my other podcast uh, at my favorite underscore podcast on Instagram. It's a podcast about people's favorite things. This week, we will be talking to the one, the only Miss Giovanna Zavala about America's favorite family, the Kardashians. Ooh. So <laughs> if you are interested in okay. the Kardashians, what the Kardashians mean, if they are or are not American royalty, uh, everything involving the Kardashians, I would definitely check that episode out. As of this recording, we haven't recorded yet. We're about to do that tomorrow as of this recording. So I'm very excited to do that. But uh, you can also follow that account on Twitter at my favorite pod and wild G shit if you want to, but that'll all be linked in the description below. Mason, bring us home. Hey, you can find me on Instagram at hot dog to hot dog, the food to like Elizabeth to from the movie widows. Uh, you can find me on letterboxd at my name. You can find me on, uh, not on Twitter. I don't know. Why I was going to say that on my other podcast, the barn, a podcast about the shield. You can also find me, 
hopping and bopping around Logan Square in Chicago. Uh, community resource, I do not have one at the time of recording, but there will be one uh, that I'm going to talk about here now when I'm editing. Hello, this is Mason. Uh, just a quick link tree, actually, this week for the community resource. Uh, this one was compiled by at transnormativity on Instagram. Uh, usually also a good source for um, uh, uh, GoFundMe's, that sort of information. Uh, this one in particular was um, the first place that had a linked um, uh, Portland, Oregon related um, GoFundMe that I saw. Uh, which I wanted that to be the focus this week, something Portland related. So if you go to link, linktree, linkter.ee slash transnormativity, you can donate to support Menex helping the protesters in Portland, Oregon. Bail funds there. Bail funds also for Chicago. Chicago had some pretty um, intense clashes between the protesters and the cops recently. So please help get people out of um, jail. Uh, in both of those places. Uh, difficult week this week, I feel. Um, feels like things really um, are escalating. But, uh, you know, we still got to keep looking out for each other. So if you're able, donate some money, do some reading. Um, otherwise, all you can do is uh, stay safe and healthy. All right, let's finish the show. And how about that? That was the community resource for the week. Very cool. Another good one. Another Sounds banger, great. Uh, but yeah, but otherwise you can uh, just uh, keep yourself safe and healthy. That's my recommendation moving forward. Wash your hands, wear a mask. Uh, just uh, do your best to just generally be kind and look out for each other because we are still in this, still going through this awful, awful summer, this awful, awful pandemic, this awful, awful... Um, I don't know, but it's helpful to, uh, I don't know, be around for other people and have other people there for you. That's my recommendation. I 100% agree. Before we totally sign off, this isn't necessarily a an other recommendo. Like, sometimes I do on this show, sometimes I don't. It all depends on if I fucking remember or not. But... I am actually reading a book. How was that? <laughs> I got Charlie Kaufman's book because I was. So- oh, oh, there it is! Yes, that. Ian's got the book right there. Ian, have you started reading yet? I am. Uh, I'm like one chapter in. Look, guys, I got it. One too. chapter in. Okay. Look, look, here's me. Nope, cool. you don't. You <laughs> fucking asshole. That's Roger Ebert's Life Itself book. Shut the fuck up. No, uh, I am 50 pages in. I read 50 pages last night. Uh, gonna be totally honest with you. Don't know if I'm going to continue reading it right now. That's because, my feeling too. <laughs> <laughs> because it's very well written, but insanely hard to read. Because this character is a piece of shit. Wow, can't believe that Charlie Kaufman wrote this guy into existence. Uh, yeah. But he's one of my favorites of all time in any sense of the word. Charlie Kaufman is a genius, and. Uh, I don't know if this... I haven't loved uh, Anomalisa. I did not love Anomalisa. I wanted to love Anomalisa. I didn't. Uh, I don't think I'm going to continue reading this book right now, but it's insanely well-written. I love that you, Ian, have the book right there with you as well. That's all I wanted to say. It's, it's not a recommendo. It's just I'm reading this book, and I don't think I'm going to continue. Noah's reading, reading everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, at least. But <laughs> it's, I think working, it. it's working. It's <laughs> working. <laughs> all right, everybody. I think that's it. As always, Black Lives Matter... Black Trans Lives Matter, uh, defund, yep. abolish the police, stay safe and healthy, yep. wear a yep. mask, and we'll see you all next time. See you next time, baby. Bye.